communion with God. And then three weeks ago, we changed gears and began talking about characteristics of how we as believers ought to live in community with other believers. We already looked at two characteristics, and today we will cover a third characteristic of that community life. We said that living in community begins with being present. The most basic ministry you can do to be a part of a community is be present. And then it also means to live out your role in the body and play out your role so that you can provide edifying service to the body of Christ. But it goes a step further, and this is our theme today. The Christian community has deep relationships that are characterized by accountability. And I encourage you to open Scripture to James chapter 5, from verse 13 to, the, to verse 20. As you turn your Bibles to James chapter 5, verse 13 to 20, the theme of this morning's message, the third characteristic of how we are to live in community is to have deep relationships that are characterized by accountability. Here's the word of the Lord for us in our hearts this morning. Is any one of you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. This was the word of the Lord for us, for our hearts, and I encourage you to bow our heads to pray for this word. Father, your word teaches us that as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens another. Father, we praise you that you have designed us humans to be in relationships with each other, not to frustrate each other, but to build each other up especially in the church. Lord, teach us today the beauty of living in such a community. Enable our eyes to see your design for our relationships. We pray these things in the precious name of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, before entering into the sermon, let me make a few comments about this passage. It is filled with many interpretive difficulties. Every verse, with the exception of, of the example of Elijah, every verse has questions and issues 
that we could stay on and, and think upon and debate and try to understand what they mean. I'm not going to try to cover it all in the sermon today. But I will limit myself only to those things that pertain to how this text is teaching us to live as believers in community. Now, this text seems to be moving from physical illness, if you notice in verses 13 to 15, all the way to spiritual illness, verses 19 and 20. Yet what is constant in this passage, from the beginning to the end, is that praying for each other has a powerful effect both on our physical and our spiritual healing. And both points show the kind of interaction members ought to have in community. If you are hearing this message and are not a believer, let me address something to you specifically and personally. If you are hearing this message but you have never made a decision in your heart to follow God, then this message on the nature of the Christian community might appear very foreign and awkward. And primarily because we live in a society, in an age, that worships the cult of individualism. So any talk about accountability might sound infringing. Allow me to share with you why we Christians would even address such a topic. Why would we even cherish such a topic? In one word, the answer is because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. The gospel is the message of good news that God came to us to rescue us from our own rebellion against sin. He came to rescue us from the wrath which we deserve by pouring his wrath on his only begotten son so that we might not endure that wrath. He died on a cross as a substitute in our place. We deserve that death because we rebelled against him, but he died in our place because he loved us and because he, we could not save ourselves. And this message of great news, however, is not simply to be acknowledged. We're called to respond to it by faith and repentance, by turning from our rebellion against God, turning back to him. And when we repent and trust in God for his salvation, he restores us to himself and he restores us to each other. And this twofold restoration is only visible by how we live in community. We're called to live in a new type of community. And if you have not made this decision to repent of your sins and to trust in the Lord Jesus for your salvation, dear friend, I invite you to consider today. Seriously, consider the calling that God is giving you today. God is calling you to be restored to him and he will give you a new life. And this new life will put you in a new community. Now the Christian community is a gathering of people who have been rescued from eternal damnation and have been restored to a right relationship with God and with each other. Yet let me say this. This gathering, this Christian community is not perfect. No one in this Christian community is perfect. Look at us. You can find many reasons in any of us 
to point out imperfections. We are not perfect. But the relationships we are called to have in this community ought to help each other toward perfection. The reason why we're called to be in community is to help each other move towards perfection, move towards maturity, move towards becoming more like Christ every day. Now let me ask you this. What kind of relationships would help us do this? What kind of relationships in our lives have the potential to help us move towards perfection, to move towards maturity, to move towards becoming more like Christ? The answer is accountability relationships. Accountability relationships. And in this passage, we see two major sides of of this idea of accountability relationships. And each of these sides carry with them certain attitudes and mindsets that are foreign to our natural mind. And they're foreign to our secular thinking. They're foreign to our natural instincts. But let's go through them. The first point would be rather long. The second would be a little shorter. The first point about accountability relationships that this passage teaches us is this. Accountability relationships correct us. Accountability relationships correct us. Look at verse 19 and 20. And I'm starting with the end Because I want to load the heaviest stuff on the front end so I don't lose you. Verses 19 and 20. My brothers, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Period. End of book. Why such an abrupt ending to this book of James? A book that has been so practical. A book that is so straightforward with us. Why such an abrupt ending? And why, apparently, this negative tone of correcting? Well, the entire book of James is interested to teach us to examine whether or not our faith is real. It is interesting to challenge us to examine our religion and see if it's a true religion. And throughout the letter, there are admonishments that relate not simply to our individual lives, but how we live in community. A true religion, a true faith is characterized by how we integrate our Christian lives with other believers. And verses 19 and 20 are the icing on the cake. Because they are an admonishment, an admonition to believers to speak truth into the life of others for the purpose of correcting. In other words, dear friends, brothers and sisters, one of the purposes of the Christian community, of the community of believers, is to watch over each other and specifically to watch how we live out the truth. Now, for some of you listening today who are not members of any local church, I'm not talking about if you're a member of this church. I'm talking about if you are not a member of any local congregation, this might be the reason why you refuse to join a church. You do not want others to watch over you. 
You want to have the freedom to show up when you want to and leave when you have to without being noticed. I understand. But allow me to give you some biblical reasons why that may not be God's design and God's way to think about this issue. And this passage in, in particular has three reasons. Look again, verse 19. If one of you should wonder from the truth, here's the first reason why we need to have a relationships of accountability. Because we, this passage assumes that we are prone to wonder. We are prone to wonder. Now when I read these verses, this, these words in verse 19, if anyone should wonder from the truth, um, my immediate reaction is to say, okay, if there are others out there that are wondering from the truth. But the text does not say that. Look again more specifically. It says, if brothers, if any of you wonder from the truth. That means you and me. This passage is speaking to us that we, I, am prone to wonder. Do you see yourself as prone to wonder? The words of the great hymn, O oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Do you see yourself as being prone to wonder? Some of you are nodding your head and say, yes, I know I can wonder why. But some of you, deep down your heart, are also thinking, but I'll figure that out when I cross that bridge. Will you? Do you trust your own abilities to catch yourself? This text assumes that we live life in such a state of sinfulness that even as believers we are prone to fall into error without realizing or without wanting to do something about it even after we realize. All of us suffer of capital, total depravity, even as believers. Do you see yourself this sinful? Or do you have a pretty light view of your sinfulness? Do you think that now as believers, or as a believer, you can handle it on your own? My dear friends, can I share with you something from my own heart? I cannot trust myself with battling against sin. I need, brothers and sisters, I need you to help me in the battles against my own struggles, against my own temptations. I need you to point out the blind spots in my life. Those things that I don't recognize. And if I were to go on by myself, without you, my blind spots would grow bigger and bigger. And by the way, there's another problem. Scripture teaches us that sin loves secrecy. And sin loves darkness. 
That's why I need you. That's why we need each other. Because we are prone to wonder. So the first reason why we should desire to be in a community of Christians where accountability and correction is practiced is because we are prone to wonder. But there's a second reason. Again, verse 19, it's all there. This passage assumes that church members ought to have a role in keeping us accountable. Look at verse 19. If any of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring him back. Notice it doesn't give a command. It assumes it. It assumes it as natural. It assumes it as normal that the community should be interested about bringing others back. Some of you will say, well, I thought that God is enough to help me in this battle against sin. Or, some of you may say, I thought that's the role of the Spirit, to guide me and to confront me and to bring me back when I err. After all, isn't that one of the promises of the Scriptures? Yes, it is. The Spirit convicts us of sin. But the issue is not with God. The issue, you see, is that my heart is so wicked that I find ways to explain away the truth, even while I believe it. I don't trust my own heart to rely on God's Spirit to keep me away from error. By the way, neither is God. That's why God designed the Christian community to have this role of accountability in our lives. Let me put it this way. If God thought that the Spirit can do this job without the assistance of the community, why do we have this verse in Scripture? Why is James encouraging and assuming that brothers, other believers, will be correcting those who fall into error? It's not that the Spirit is not capable of doing it by himself. It's simply that God chose not to do it that way. That God designed the plan in such a way that the Spirit works our transformation through the Christian community. And let me read one more verse. There are many others. But let me read just one more about this way of how God designed it. Galatians, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6.1, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. See, God designed the Christian community to have this role of accountability, to correct one another when we wander away. Let me ask you this morning, do you live with an idea of a Christian community where you put up with meeting together, where you put up with serving together, but that's all that you're willing to put up with? You're cautious against allowing others to cross the boundaries and get involved in your life. Many self-professed Christians live with this idea of a Christian community. Here's a diagnosis to check whether or not you are infected of this misconception of a Christian community. If you, and I'm just picking one example, if you miss gathering with other believers for a long period of time, and a Christian friend calls you to see if everything is okay, Do you feel valued and treasured? Or do you feel that your privacy has been invaded? 
and you start accusing the other person in your mind for why are they calling you? And you start making plans of looking for another church. If you're looking for a church, for a Christian community where no one would be checking on you, my dear friend, I'm afraid I have to tell you that you're not looking for a Christian community. You're not looking for a Christian community. You're not looking for something that the gospel creates. If you're looking to be in a church where every Christian minds their own business, you're not looking for the community that God creates based on the gospel. You're looking for what you think, what you would like for a Christian community to be, but not what God designed it to be. So a second reason is because God, this passage, and God assumes that church members ought to have a role in keeping us accountable. And there's a third reason why we should desire to be a part of a community that pursues accountability. Look at verse 20. There's a promise. Remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, there are a few difficulties here in this passage. For instance, whose sins are covered? Is it the person who commits the sins, or is it the, person, the sins of the, of the person who corrects the sins? Or how can my correction of sin, of someone's life, cover for sins? I thought Jesus covers for sins. Well, I cannot clarify all these questions. I do assure you that Jesus alone is the one who has the power to cover for our sins. But let me compare this verse with another passage in the Scriptures in the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. In 1 Peter it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. How interesting. In 1 Peter 4, love covers a multitude of sins, and in this passage... Correcting another brother or sister covers a multitude of sins. Which one of these is right? Are we to correct or are we to love in order to cover a multitude of sins? Are these contradictory? They're only contradictory if we assume that the act of correcting is the opposite of the act of love. And many of us would believe that. But scripture points in a different way. If you want to look more closely at this, look at Hebrews, read Hebrews chapter 12, where God's love is displayed when he disciplines us and corrects us. A few years ago, I, was, I took a, a long road trip to Colorado with about 30 young people. And we were in six or seven cars that were following each other. Now, some of you might be asking, why not big vans? Uh, because we were too young to rent them. Well, 30 young teenagers grow, driving from Ohio all the way to Colorado in one straight drive. Great adventure great adventure. Well, at a key point in, 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 in the journey, there was an intersection of two major highways where we had to take a different highway to make sure we get to Colorado. 
and one of the leading cars kept going without taking the exit that would put them on this different highway. So one of the cars behind calls him quickly and tells him, hey, you guys missed it. Turn around. Now let me ask you this. What was the most loving thing to do? To call them and, and tell them, hey, you guys missed the turn? Turn around? Or let him drive? I know what some of you are thinking. They're smart enough. They'll figure it out. No, they were on the same road. They did not take a, a wrong road. They just kept going on the same road and missed a turn they were supposed to take. The loving thing was, call them. Tell them they missed the exit. But you know what's interesting? When it comes to the Christian life, many of us would feel insulted if someone checked on us to caution us that we missed an important turn. Dear friends, this passage is telling us that the most loving thing we can do for others, brothers and sisters is to correct them when they take a wrong turn. So the first truth about accountability is that accountability relationships are there to correct us. And we should desire such relationships for three reasons. Because we are prone to wonder because God designed the community to be a place of accountability, and because it is the most loving thing to do for your brothers and sisters. So correction is the first side of accountability. But here's the second meaning of accountability, of accountability relationships. Accountability relationships prevent us from remaining in sin. Prevent us from remaining in sin. Do you know why? Because they call us to confess it. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Now, the notion, of, the notion of watching over each other, not to fall into error and to correct each other, is not supposed to turn us into police officers or secret detectives who go around the church to see who stepped out of bounds. You may have grown in a church... In the past, not here, not here, in the past, where some members of the community, of the church community, had the spiritual gift and mandate to check on people and try to find who's stepping out of bounds. And they would get excited when they found someone. They couldn't wait to practice the spiritual gift. My friends, that is not the attitude of accountability that Scripture teaches us to have. It is not, it is, the scripture is teaching us not only to watch over each other, but also to confess our sins to one another, to admit our shortfalls to one another. In other words, accountability relationships are not just corrective, are not there just to catch us when we fall trapped into sin, but are there to prevent us. And the way we prevent us to fall into sin is by actually sharing and admitting our sins, our struggles to one another. Now, some Christians understand these words to say that we are to confess our sins to the priest or to some spiritual leader in the church, as if confessing to a pastor or a priest would guarantee that your sins would be forgiven. But notice, Scripture says, do it to each other. 
other Christians think that we should confess our sins only to God. But again, Scripture says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Instead of merely waiting for the times when we hit rock bottom, we are called to have regular checkups with each other. Rich face-to-face relationships of confession and prayer, of transparency and vulnerability. Now, confession to each other and prayer for one another ought to characterize how we relate in community. It ought to be the mark of deep accountability relationships. Now, why should we engage in such preventive care? Why should we engage in such preventive accountability? So that we might invite other believers to pray for us. Again, verse 16 Verse 16 says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power. And this text gives us a great example of Elijah who prayed that rain would stop and it stopped for three and a half years. And then he prayed again for rain and and rain began. Uh, It began raining again and and fruit started uh, coming out of the the earth. And the point is if prayer has such power over, over the forces of nature, how much more can it have over your life? when others pray for your spiritual well-being. Accountability relationships invite others to pray specifically for our struggles and for our spiritual well-being. Why would you not want to have such deep accountability relationships? Why would you not want to live in a community of believers where they cherish and pursue such relationships? Now, let me give some points, some application points for creative, creating such accountability relationships. Dear believers, brothers and sisters, do you allow other people in your life to speak God's word to your life? To a circumstance in which you find yourself? Or perhaps to a sinful habit which you might have? More specifically, do you invite other believers to have this role in your life by sharing with them your struggles? Well, we, 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 shouldn't, we shouldn't share our struggles. Or I, I'm not willing, I'm, I'm not sure I can share my struggles with someone else. I encourage you to start with some generic struggles that I'm sure many of you have. Like, I'm struggling to have my devotions. Brother, would you pray with me? Or you might be struggling with, with a grudge against someone, and, and all of us at some point in our lives struggle with that. There's nothing shameful about that. Why not pull somebody, a, a close friend, and say, would you pray with me and for me for this struggle? Invite others into your life by sharing the things you struggle and, and asking them to pray for you. Are you developing relationships with other people where you aim to have such conversations? where you meet and pray for sins which you are, you are battling, I tell you what I would love to see in our church. I would love to see younger men develop these relationships with older men. Now, a word to older men. Younger guys like to talk details of their lives that you think should be dealt with on their own. Be willing to listen without being judgmental. Older men, take the initiative to ask younger men what they're struggling with. Invite them to lunch or coffee or get to know them. 
read a book together. Develop a relationship of trust where they feel welcome to share with you their struggles. And by the way, this is not just for men. It's for women too. Ladies, younger ladies, talk amongst yourselves. Talk to older ladies. Cultivate, invite those relationships to happen. Now, there is a caution, though. Keep it same gender. It's imperative. Keep it same gender. Now, the best way we can develop a culture of accountability in our church is by inviting others to do it on us. Giving or receiving unasked correction is difficult. It goes against the grain of our sinful nature. But one way to change that nature is to start inviting others by admitting our own sins to one another. Now, you don't have to do it publicly, hear from the pulpit. You don't have to do it in public. That's not the point. The point is, develop some trustful relationships with other believers in the community where you have those kinds of interactions. I'm willing to make you the following promise. When you start inviting the accountability of other believers in your life, there will be less chances of needing severe correction because the sin has been dealt with preventively. And even hard correction when it's needed, it will not be as painful because you have already opened yourself up to others. Some application points for receiving correction or for giving correction is the following. When we keep each other accountable and when we are on the giving side of of correction or accountability, pray about what you will say. Ask God to give you wisdom how to address it. Make sure it's not your natural instinct. Make sure it's not your anger. Make sure it's not simply your desire to point out the wrong in someone else's life. By the way, that is one aspect of our sinfulness. We have a natural inclination to build up ourselves by pointing to the wrongs of others. Make sure that when you do accountability, you don't do it out of that sinful desire to point out the wrongs of others, but you, build, you do it from a perspective of humility and humbleness. Work on your humility. Work on your humbleness before you be rebuking others. Assume the best intentions, but don't be gullible. If the Spirit is revealing something to you that you need to confront, do it with gentleness and with humility. And do it. And when someone asks you to keep them accountable... Don't share the details with other people. Build trust, and when it is given to you, maintain it. This is how we're called to live in community. This is how accountability relationships look like. Dear friend, if you are a believer, I hope the book of James and the way it ends It might end on this sort of negative tone, but it is a a warning sign. It's a final flag. Be aware. All the things that the book of James would teach us and, and taught us how to live our Christian lives individually and in community, all of it has this warning. Be aware that you don't fall into error. And if someone should fall into error, others around you, others amongst us should Bring out that to the person and restore the brother or sister. That is the most loving thing to do. Dear friend, if you are not a believer, 
I hope that by hearing this message, you got one glimpse of how Christians are called to live in community. Such living is not limiting our freedom as individuals. Quite the contrary. It enables us to live out the freedom which God brings us. To fall back into worshiping individualism means to return to our old life of sin. But God freed us from all sin so that we might be put in a right relationship with Him and in a right relationship with each other. And that's the role of the Christian community. Have you experienced this freedom? For all of those who are Christians, who are believers, but do not have a church home or have not considered seriously the importance of belonging to a community of believers, here's why we should desire to be a part of a local body of believers. As one pastor said it, in joining the church, we put ourselves in a position where we ask our brothers and sisters to hold us accountable, to live according to what we speak with our mouths. For all of those who are believers and who are active members of a church, whether it's this church or another church, I encourage you not to remain satisfied simply with showing up to services or simply with serving others. I encourage you to be intentional about creating accountability relationships, deep relationships where you invite others to help you grow in becoming more like Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't settle for less than what God designed the Christian community to be. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we praise you because you are the source of our life in community. You are the eternal triune God in three persons without division of nature, essence, or being. And you called us to reflect you, to be like you, through the way in which we live in community with other believers, through the way in which we live as one body. Oh Lord, for those of us who today realize that we might have been worshiping the idol of individualism, I pray that you forgive us. Put in us a new heart, fill us with the knowledge of you so that our hearts might be healed from any misguided views of a Christian community, of what our community should reflect and should be. Lord, we pray that at Park Hills Baptist Church, more and more of us would live out such relationships of accountability so that we can pray for each other, so that we can become more like you as a result of being together in community. Father, I pray that you restore us. I pray that you heal us. And I pray that we would live out your design for the Christian community, for the local church. In the name of Jesus, I pray.